0: Okay, set, 8 o'clock. 1 minute 45 seconds. Wait till they come in. Yeah. right in. Good evening, everyone. Uh, Tonight's uh, lecture will be about uh, slichot, which uh, is uh, coming up very shortly in our lives, God willing. So slichot is uh, a custom. It's not a mitzvah. And in fact, it's not mentioned in the Talmud at all. And uh, slichot began, from uh, the best that we know, in the time of the Gaonim in Bovil, meaning uh, 6th, 7th, 8th century Babylonia, where many of the customs of the Jewish people that we have today both Ashkenazim and Svartim originated. Now uh, customs are uh, uh, they're a genre unto themselves because customs are societal behavior how people have behaved and not how uh, rabbis so to speak ordained they should behave Uh, they spring from the bottom up, not from the top down. And the Talmud already recognized that customs are very powerful. Simply because the people feel connected to them. (laughs) Chazal say, See how the people behave. And if people have certain uh, patterns of behavior, so then uh, that has great weight. And in Jew, <clears throat> and in Jewish life, there are many, many customs. And customs, the Talmud tells us sometimes even take a greater role than halacha. Minigma mevatel halacha, the Gemara says. Or in Beitza, And custom can even break and overcome the halacha. Because that's what the people want to do. Now naturally, there are customs and customs. So if the custom in your synagogue is to talk during Kriya's Torah that that uh, custom does not break any halachas and it should be uh, disdained. But we're not talking about those kind of customary behavior. We're talking about customs that were established within the Jewish people as being holy customs and therefore uh, in the uh, time of the Gohonim in bavel there arose a custom that before the yom hanu'ah people should prepare for the yom hanu'ah now uh, everyone was left on their own so to speak there was no set preparation but many times if there is no set schedule if there's no set order if there is no uh, pattern established so then it uh, it doesn't hold. And Chazal always uh, we're not in favor of Isha, Yosher, Be'in of and People do what they want. It, that uh, leads to chaos and in spiritual life, chaos is a disaster. Everybody doing what they want uh, ends up that uh, the Torah, the halacha, suffers and that the end goal is almost never achieved. And that's why uh, the rabbis were opposed, let's say, to uh, isolation, that people, they should go out in the forest and meditate. So there were individuals in Jewish life who did that. But that always met with opposition. Because that couldn't be a custom that everybody could observe. And therefore, it would be negative and not positive. So in Bovel... Their custom was to uh, prepare for the Yom Kippur by having penitential prayers, which we call slichot, recited before the Yom Kippur. Now there were two customs. Uh, Bovel is the father and the mother of both the Ashkenazim and the Svardim. And uh, Bovel and Eretz Israel has is, is a general rule for which there are enormous exceptions but as a general rule we could say that the Ashkenazim come from Bovel and the Svartim come from Eretz Israel. Rav said said Golos Yerushalayim asher b'sforat the Novi says in the exile of Yerushalayim was in Spain. So, uh, in the Gomorrah you always have the Bnei Marova and the Bnei Boville. The Bnei Marova are the people of the west. That's Herzl's soil. Herzl's soil is west of Boville, and the Bnei Boville. And the Ashkenazim pretty much follow Bnei Bavil. While the Svardim have retained a great deal of Bnei Marova. Uh, For instance, uh, I'll give you really a a radical example. Is that in Eretz Israel, they finish the Torah every three years. Uh, There's a sheet and the Gomorrah, it was every three and a half years. So they finished the Torah twice in the Shemitah cycle. So the Parsha's were not divided the way our Parsha's are divided. Because our Parsha's are basically 52, 53, 54 Parsha's, depending on the year. And uh Their parshas, they also had the same problem. They had to have seven aliyahs every Shabbos. But they had seven aliyahs that were within a third of what our parsha is. And therefore you'll find in the Talmud and in the Medrash. Stark differences between the count of the parshias as the B'nai Bovel had it and the count of the partias the way B'nai Ritz's soil had it. So and B'nai Herzl's soil had 154 and some say 155 partias. We have uh, 54, of it. it was a third simply because that was their custom. That custom did not survive in the exile, neither for the Svartim or for the Ashkenazim. Nevertheless, to understand many Midrashim that are quoted, uh, one has to bear that in mind, because what the medrash talks about has no resemblance to what exists in our place, and in our time, and in our custom. So if you're looking for 154, 155, you won't find it by us. So you'll say, well, what's the medrash talking about? And uh, tragically, uh, the Bible critics uh, who always get everything wrong got this wrong as well. They said it must have been a different Torah. See, the Torah was edited later. It used to be 155, and they cut it down to 54. They didn't realize that the Medrash is talking about Eretz Israel. and we're talking about Bovel. So, uh, in Bovel, they had a custom that they recited penitential prayers before Yom Kippur, and, and there were two customs. One custom they began Rishchodei Shalul, and the other custom began Shvuah Shechal Rosh Hashanah, the week of Rosh Hashanah. Now the Ashkenazim took the second custom, so we only say Shlichot the week before Rosh Hashanah and if Rosh Hashanah comes out, let's say, on a Monday so then we start the week before because otherwise there's only one day so we have to have our custom is we have to have at least four days of Shlichot so if it comes out Thursday Rosh Hashanah so we have Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday the Sfarim start with Apparently, that was the custom in Herzl Israel. So they have a whole month of slichot. Now, how did they choose the penitential prayer? What 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 are you going to say? So, beginning in the again in the sixth century, really. And for the next uh, thousand years, there were a group of people who were called Paitanim. They were poets, uh, but not poets in the sense that uh, literature has poetry. Uh, they were people who composed prayers and poems of a completely religious Torah nature that were meant to be used by the Jewish people to express their love for God in a fashion that otherwise they would be unable to do so. Not everybody is a poet. Not everybody knows Hebrew that well. So we have to come and pray to their bones, So, you know, I always have that feeling. So now I had that feeling the first time I was at the Kotel. So now what do I say? I know what I want to say, but i ah, what, what am I going to say? After 1900 years, what am I going to say that's going to be meaningful? And that's a problem that exists with all of us, I'm sure. Uh, The famous uh, anecdote, uh, it's true, I I knew knew the man that said it to me. He said that he was an American soldier in the Second World War. I don't remember a soldier or a Marine. And uh, he was in the Pacific Theater. And that uh, They were landing on this island beach, and the Japanese were shooting, and the Marines were falling like flies. And the uh, his buddies next to him were wounded and killed. And he said, "I had this overwhelmingly strong feeling that I went, I had to pray." because I wanted to survive and then he said I realized that I didn't know how to pray I didn't know what to say and he said that was the worst feeling that I ever had so we all want to pray but how do you do it what do you say And that's why Chazal in their wisdom organized for us prayer. And in the Shmonesra and the 19 bruchas that we say in the Amidah three times a day, so everything is included. Whatever you want to pray for, health, family, blessings, parnosah, national redemption, peace it's all there so if you say it all so somehow you'll be able to express what you really want to say, what you need it could be that you need one bracha more than the other bracha there are people that need intelligence There are other people who think they're smart enough. So they don't pray for intelligence. They're so smart they don't need it. But there are other uh, blessings there that they do need. Health. Uh, The ability to uh, have the material goods to be able to survive in this world the ability to be protected so the rabbis organized it for us the Anishai Knessus Hagdola the men of the great assembly they organized it so that we would know how to pray that we would know what to say and then we could put into it as we're supposed to whatever proper intent or idea that we have into the words which exist. I don't have to recreate the words. So if I want intelligence, I want knowledge, I don't have to... Now, what's the Hebrew word for knowledge and how do I... I, You have it, it's ready. You have constructed it already. And that became our vehicle of prayer, and our vehicle of prayer is our connection kaviochel with Rebbeinu Shalom. We know what to say to him. You know, there's a protocol. If you, uh, you if you go uh, to visit the royalty, whatever is left of that in the world, but there's a protocol, right? You don't walk up to the Queen of England and say, "Hi, Liz, how you doing?" Even the Americans don't do that. There's a protocol. You have to be dressed a certain way. You have to speak a certain way. You have to address with a certain title. And the protocol is part of the entire structure that gives royalty, so to speak, its the basis of efficacy and of popularity so even though we don't believe in the divine right of kings anymore and even though uh, all kings are only constitutional monarchs and even though they all wear business suits or regular dresses today nevertheless there still is a protocol and Chazal made the protocol of prayer You want to say something to the Rebbe Certainly. Here. But this is how you have to do it. It has to fall into this type of protocol. You can't just do it on your own. Now, there are great people, great holy people, that were able to do it on their own. But most of us don't fall into that category. We do not find ourselves in the ability to be able to do so. So therefore, we have the situation where there's a set order. There's a schedule, there are prayers to be re- recited so the Paitanim the great poets of Israel beginning again in the time of the Goonim in the five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred, 600 700's wrote their prayers for forgiveness uh, for us And that became the basis of the slichot. Now, what happened was, you'll notice in the slichot uh, before Rosh Hashanah, the slichot that we have, that we're about to embark upon, those slichot almost all concern themselves with the redemption of the Jewish people from the exile the alleviation of anti-Semitism and persecution of Jews that the Lord should save us as a whole there is very little personal before Rosh Hashanah because Rosh Hashanah we come to God as a unit It's Yisrael, it's the whole Jewish people. So even though we're judged individually, and our faith is recorded individually, nevertheless we are part of the group that's what the Gemara means we pass like the soldiers on parade so every soldier is an individual but when you see them on mass in the parade so that's what inspires you so those are the slichot that we have before Rosh Hashanah the Slichot that we have in the Aseret Yemei Tshuva, the ten days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom HaKippurim, are much more personal. Because then we want God to forgive our sins. And our sins are not only national sins, they're personal ones as well. In fact, in the main, they're to be considered personal. So the Paitanim were the ones that composed the slichot. Now it's interesting, the greatest Paitan of them all was a man called Elozer HaKalir. It's not clear to us why he's called HaKalir. There are all sorts of legends about him. We don't really know when he lived, and where he lived. There's a uh, uh, an extreme theory in Thesis that he was one of the tanoim, which would date him back uh, 700 years from what uh, most uh, scholars uh, agree on today. We don't know. But he was prolific. <coughs> he wrote poetry for every parsha of the Torah. uh There was a time that the Jews said poetry in the middle of their prayers, not just on the holidays, but they said it every Shabbos. And uh, there was a time when Jews uh, had time to be in the synagogue. There were no watches, there were no, you know, it took whatever it took which is a hard thing for our generation I remember I was invited once to a very fine synagogue in Rehovot that I should be the scholar in residence so one of the speeches that I was to deliver was to be Shabbat in the morning the sermon so to speak So before I got up, the president of the institution of the congregation came over to me and he said, Rabbi Wine, I have to tell you, the rule in our synagogue is that you must speak in Hebrew and that you can only speak 10 minutes. So I said to him, well, that's only one rule because my Hebrew only lasts 10 minutes. But uh, what do you mean? They speak only ten minutes. How do you measure? Uh, how do you measure by uh, by time what a person has to say? There are people that can be foolish in ten minutes, and there are people that can be wise in an hour. So there was, every Shabbat, there were piyutim. And that was a custom in Aaron Sussara. And this uh, Paitan, Rabbi Eleazar HaKalir, wrote piyutim for every Shabbat of the year. And then he wrote for every holiday of the year. Now some of what he wrote for the holidays, we still have. And then he wrote kinot, keynote, which we recite on Tisha B'Av In fact, according to our custom, the first 26 keynote are from Rabbi Lazar Khalir. Now, the interestingly enough, don't have any piyutim from Rabbi Lazar Kalir. Only the Ashkenazim have. Why? Many theories. But one of the theories, which uh, pretty much makes a lot of sense, Reb Lazar Akalir took a lot of liberties with the Hebrew language. He invented words. He uh, made nouns out of verbs and verbs out of nouns. He inverted letters. He, made, he took a lot of, we call that poetic license, right? No one ever corrected Shakespeare on his grammar. That's poetic license. So he uh, did that uh, to a great extent. But there were purists in the Jewish world, as there always are, who objected to that. And the one who led the charge was the great Rabbeinu Avram Ibn Ezra. Now, Avram Ibn Ezra wrote a commentary to Kohelet. In the fifth chapter in Kohelet, for some reason he could restrain himself no longer. And he has there a very sharp and long criticism of the Kalir. A very, very... uh, pointed criticism as to what he did with the piyutim. And there are many who say that that's why since the Ezra was one of the greatest of the Svaradim in Spain. So because of that the Svaradim avoided any uh, piyutim of the Khalir. So uh, when the, the Sfarim begin Rishchodesh Elul and say for the whole month all of these piyutim, none of them are from the Kalir. And none of them, almost, are the same ones that the Ashkenazim say. And even amongst the Ashkenazim there were differences. There's slichot according to the Minig of Lita. And there's Slichot according to the Minig of Poland. And there's Slichot according to the Minig of Bohemia. And there's Slichot according to the Minig of Germany. So to speak, every, uh, Kehila chose which poet and which poetry they wanted to include. But again, the common denominator in all of the Slichot, both Svartim and Ashkenazim, is that the Slichot before Rosh Hashanah are, so to speak, national Slichot. That the Bonishom should have mercy upon us to alleviate the persecutions and the discriminations which the exile brought upon the Jewish people for so many, so many centuries. Now, the slichot have a form. So our custom is we begin all slichot with, by the, the recitation of Ashrei. Now, Ashrei is one of the most basic prayers in the Jewish, a treasure house of prayer. The Gemara says that uh, uh, it is uh, the warehouse of all wishes, and it follows the alphabetical acrostic Aleph, Bet, Gimel, and it has the great post in it. The Gemara says. Which is our statement that everything that exists is because the Lord, so to speak, has opened his hand and therefore all creation is nurtured by him. From the lowliest insect to human beings to the greatest banquet. It's all, can be Yod we say. It is all from your hand. Now in nature there, is, there are wonders that are not to be believed. I remember one of the most impressive things that I saw when I visited South Africa. So you went on a safari. Which is uh, the experience of a lifetime. You, know, you see, uh, nature in the wild. Not in the zoo, and not in the safari here in, uh, near Tel Aviv, but in the wild. The way it was, uh, So, uh, the, uh, ranger, or the one that's, uh, explaining everything to you, points out a lot of things. And he discusses about the uh, the food chain and how so how does so to speak nothing in God's world goes to waste, which is an enormous thing to contemplate. And we have that in our uh, Torah life: al tashchis, don't destroy anything. Because everything has a place. So, the elephant, I mean, that's a creature. The elephant eats uh, 300 pounds a day. What does it eat? Grass. Trees. The bark of trees. It it takes down a tree and puts it in its mouth. But it has a very small stomach. How God created things. So it only digests about a third of what it eats. The rest of it comes out as dung. And therefore, the trails of elephants uh, can be seen for miles. There are literally thousands of creatures that live off of the dung of elephants. There's a special snail. It's unbelievable. So, must be ratzon. God has created a world, nature, a universe, where nothing goes to waste and everybody is able to benefit from it, each creature according to what the Lord, so to speak, invested in it. So the slichas begin with ashre. We recognize God. We know who we're talking to. It's part of the protocol. Ladies and gentlemen, His Highness, so-and-so. Hail to the chief, the president. And then we have what the Pythonim wrote. But before that, we have a prayer which is taken from the Chumash, and which is the basic prayer of all of the Slichot. And Moshe Rabbeinu, after the golden calf, the Jewish people are destroyed. And Moshe prays to save them. And then Moshe, so to speak, uh, pushes the envelope. And he says Hare no es Show me how it works. What's your system? I want to see your glory. And the Rabboni Shalom tells him, you can't. The human beings are incapable of encompassing the ineffable. You can't we are bound by our flesh you can't do it. But your Shalom makes a compromise with Moshe. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock when I hide you. And I will cover you, so to speak, with my hand that you won't see. You'll see me from the back. But you will not see me head on. And so the Mephorshim explained that idea. That we see God in history, but we don't see it in advance. We see God if we look back. So if we look back in our own personal lives. We can see where we made this decision or we did this factor. So that's because God influenced us. It was the hashgacha pratit. It was the private guidance, but we don't see it in the future. There's no one that can tell us what's going to be next year. All the medical experts—it's all worthless. I mean, that's one of uh, the few benefits, perhaps, of the coronavirus is that we are no longer believers and experts. Okay, a little humility is good. So, you won't see me. And Moshe is in the rock, hidden and he feels the godly spirit passing before him. However, we'll understand that. Vayikro and Moshe shouted out what he had heard the angels in heaven say. And those are the thirteen facets of forgiveness. Hashem Hashem, Keil Rachum Vechanun, Erechapayim, Rav Chesed Vehemes, No Se Chesed Laalofim, No Se Ovom Vefeshah Vechatov And he hears a secret from heaven, that that's the formula to ask for forgiveness. So the formula for tshuva is to say yosham nu bagad nu, etc. Vidui. But the formula for forgiveness which is different than tshuva is to say Hashem Hashem keel rachum So slichot which are not involved with tshuva yet which are involved with the national fate of the Jewish people so the every selicho, every piyut ends by the recitation of these 13 attributes Hashem, Hashem this is who God is Yerachum v'chanun Yerachapayim Rav Chesed V'emes and in our recognition so to speak of What you are uh, will come our forgiveness. Because that's your nature. That's a terrible quip, but I'm going to share it with you. Because, uh, I mean, we have a few hundred people gathered here tonight, so we have to... uh, Give them their money's worth. So, uh, Heinrich Heine, the great apostate Jew, who hated himself all of his life because he was an apostate, there are apostates that are proud of it. Karl Marx. There are apostates who leveraged it to greatness. That's the Israeli. And there are apostates that simply were tragic. And never could deal with themselves. Like Acher in the time of the Talmud. So Heine was like that in the 18th century. 19th century. So Heine on his deathbed, uh, was asked, well, uh, what if if he has to give an accounting to God for his behavior? So he said, uh, I'm not worried about God. He will forgive me. That's his job. That's a Jewish attitude. Rabbani Shalom's job is chanun Verachem." He has to put up with us. So let him put up with us for another year. We'll be able to pursue it. There's a famous uh, discussion between the uh, Menachem Mendel Morgenstern, the Kotzker Rebbe, and Reb Yitzchok the Worker Rebbe. They were the two great people of Psziszche in the 1840s and 1850s in Poland. So the, uh, tradi- the, the tradition is that the Kotzker asked Reb Yitzchok he said, I don't understand. The Jewish people sinned by the eagle. They made a golden calf. They said, Yisrael. The height of denial of God. And the Lord forgave them. The Jewish people, by the maraglim, the only thing they said is, we don't go there, you know, we want to stay here, you know. It's good here we're going to be religious, we're not giving up anything. And he didn't forgive them. He destroyed the entire generation. Why? If you stop to think of it, it's an enormous question, right? The great men of Chesedas dealt with basic issues, they weren't afraid to confront heaven head on. So uh, the worker answered very brilliantly. The Vorker said by the eagle, the Jewish people did tshuva but they did tshuva without knowing that tshuva would help because they didn't know that yet they don't know that till Hashem Hashem which happened later so they did tshuva without having the idea that they would be forgiven nevertheless they did tshuva they were sorry for what they did even though they felt it was irreversible but by the miraglim they already knew that tshuva helps so that's echte v'yoshuv. the person says I will sin and an I'll do so the Gemara says the tshuva doesn't help then, and that's why it didn't help that was his interpretation and Mendel said that's not what I say he says a tremendous idea he says by the eagle, the Jewish people were looking for God they made a bad choice but they said Ey Yisrael. we're looking for God we're looking for godliness so they had a higher purpose it wasn't Stama rebellion and therefore the Lord forgave them by the Miraglim, said it was Gashmias. They were looking for an easy life. There at is a hard place. It's sacrifice. It's wars. It's miser. It's all. It's all. It's a hard place. I've heard it often from so many people in the United States have told. It's much easier to be an Orthodox Jew here than uh, go there at Israel. they were looking for easy their shalom wouldn't forgive them I think that's a great view to approach slichus what are we looking for what do we want from God he should forgive us so now he'll forgive us so what What's our purpose? What's our mission? What do we have to struggle with? What is our national purpose? Which is what the slichas are about. That's why one of the longest slichas that we have on Erev Rosh Hashanah, every verse ends Yerushalayim. what's I'm supposed to be? So on one hand it's going to be as we see skyscrapers, light train modern city new sidewalks <laughs> but there's more to Yerushalayim how to build it within us That's really what the wrestler of Rebbe said. You know, the Vesel of him go to Uman. I don't want to comment on that. I feel that if the Rebbe was here, he would go to Yerushalayim. But he used to say, every step that I take is towards Yerushalayim. By that he meant he had a concept of Yerushalayim what the national existence of the Jewish people should look like. And the Slichus defines that for us. (coughs) So when we participate in the Slichus, I hope we'll keep some of these ideas in mind. It'll be a source of inspiration for us and of goodness. And it should be a harbinger of a good year. (coughs) L'onu l'chol Yisrael. Amen. Thank you for coming. And, uh, if anybody wants uh, a book, uh, I think Rabbi Amsel has books too for tonight. Good night everyone, Koltouf. Thank you, David. Thank you. Can I take this out for you? No, no, he's going to come. i so it's all to start. I know exactly what you mean. Thank you. Sorry? <laughs> <Very> you. <well. laughs> My wife is on the Should we Thank you. leveraged the fact that he was Jewish to help him make he said it part of him, many times. Yeah. My ancestors were Levites in the temple. I'm an aristocrat. Uh-huh. He made it here. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, thank you, Monocle.